0: Hello, Vampires and Slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I like to discuss every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after their original air dates, which means that tonight we're talking about Becoming Part 1. So this is the beginning of the two-part series finale of, or series, I always accidentally say series, season finale, season two of Buffy. We're here, finally, I say finally, but I have enjoyed this season, and sadly, it is time for it to be over, and that means we're going to be saying some goodbyes, um not least of which is Drusilla. Now, um, Drusilla's not gonna die or anything, but, and we will see her again in a few more episodes throughout the series, but this is really it for Drusilla for the most part. Um, we may see her, I can think of, there's, we're definitely gonna see her in some flashbacks. We're gonna see her in one or two episodes that aren't flashback related but that's it you know this is almost it I just realized that I was as I was watching it um of course you'll be in the next episode but um the end of season two is really the end of us getting to see the glory that is Drusilla and that I think it calls for a drink I think it does I think we need to pour one out for Drusilla right now. So you guys get to be here for the experience. I am going to pour a shot of Bird Dog Blackberry Whiskey. My friend Cody brought this over for me recently. Thank you, Cody, if you're listening. It's really good. It tastes like um, like cough syrup and I'm really about that taste for sure. It's my kind of thing. So let's pour one out for Drusilla so we can get started talking about this episode. Drusilla, I love you. You are my forever. You're one of my top five villains of all time. And I just don't think we got to see enough of her. And I will have a lot to say about her today since it'll be one of the last times I get to talk about Drusilla in the context of an episode of Buffy. So here we go. All right. <clears throat> let's get into it. Okay, so let's read the episode description according to an excellent episode guide by Nikki Stafford called Bite Me. And yes, I pimp it almost every episode, but it really is like very thoughtful, concise, like really good. Just I mean, almost every Every episode is outlined in, like, two pages, but she, like, says really thoughtful shit. Anyway, I like it. Okay, and her, her, um, her descriptions of the episodes are intensely short. So this one, um, the description was, As Angel and Drusilla try to open the Hellmouth to engulf the Earth, the pasts of the show's key players flash before our eyes. So as the tep- the ep- and then she goes on to say the basis of becoming like that of passion is in the title we see how angel became a vampire how he got a soul how buffy became a slayer and how angel became her guardian guardian that's gross i have a lot to say about angel being a guardian i would call him a lurker okay so i have more to say than just that this episode like it does say in the title It is about becoming i'm gonna have to close the window i'm gonna have to because dog's barking and that air conditioner is pretty loud too you guys probably don't want to hear that there we go which means i'm gonna sit in a really hot and humid room just for you guys i'm also drinking a beer okay so let's start with a little what's up with Mixtress. I don't do that very often, but this week it is warranted. So here's the thing. Here's what happened. What had happened was basically nothing has happened. It's just my brain chemistry slash hormones is not good right now. Um, which means that I'm frustrated and stressed out and anxious about nothing a lot of the time and, um, I'm struggling. So, um, I'll, I'll be fine by this time next week. By this time next week, we will be sad because of all of the tragedy that happens in this episode, in the second part of this episode, but my brain chemistry will be better. So we'll be happy. (laughs) We'll be happy, but we'll be sad. Um, I just wanted, I just like to give I just like to share whenever I'm not okay because I think it's important when people share that information. For me personally, whenever I am enjoying the creative works of someone, be it a podcast or a YouTube channel or a blog or whatever, whatever, it is really special to me whenever that person shares the things that they struggle with. So I like to do that every once in a while. Um, I definitely do struggle. I learned something this week that is quite interesting. And it's it's kind of like a duh thing, like of course, but um, our world is sort of set up in kind of a circadian rhythm. If you, if that makes sense, like our world is sort of set up to work in kind of a daily slash weekly ritual, you know, we do the nine to five and we do it five days a week, that kind of thing. Um, that's like the typical all American situation, I guess. Um, and the thing is that can work for biological men, men'ses. <laughs> But it doesn't work for those that have menzies. It works for the men's, but not for those that have the menzies. <laughs> I just thought of that just now. That sounds kinda cool, right? You can put that on a t shirt. Um so it works the daily slash weekly cycles. They work okay for men because by and large, men have um, and by men, of course I'm saying biological male, you know, so maybe you don't identify as a man, but you have this hormone structure. If you're not already on the hormones to transition to a woman, if that is your psychological truth. So that works for the men because they have very stable hormonal situations. Like basically the hormones of men are pretty consistent. They basically stay the same not only throughout the day but throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout their lives. They're pretty consistent overall. Whereas women, that's not the case. Interesting fact that I learned many years ago that not a lot of people know. So I'll share it with you guys now and I might have said this before but just bear with me. Women, when they're um, in their luteal phase, which is when you're premenstrual. So like the five to seven days before you start your period is the luteal phase of your cycle. That is when our hormones most closely resemble those of men. So it's really funny when we're super stressed out and moody and feel awful, like, I feel awful. Of course I have PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is basically just PMS extreme. (laughs) Um, so it's really, really pronounced with me. And I think that's just because I'm autistic and I'm very sensitive. And so like, I notice those hormone fluctuations really, really intensely in myself. Um, whereas other people, it's not quite as extreme. But um, anyway, we most closely repre- resemble men in our particular hormone concoction when we're premenstrual, which is kind of hilarious when you think about it. And it makes me feel sorry for men because when I'm premenstrual, um, your your cortisol levels go way up with your progesterone levels, which cortisol, cortisol is the stress hormone. Progesterone is the hormone that you have when in this phase of your cycle, every single month, you have more of it um, when you are premenstrual, but also when you're pregnant the entire time. Like the whole point of progesterone is to help a fetus implant. So for example, if your egg had been fertilized, at this point in your cycle, the luteal phase, it would have more of a chance of implanting because the progesterone is the thing that signals the thickening of your uterine lining, which is the thing that sloughs off during your period, along with the blood. You're just essentially cleansing your entire uterine lining so you can start all over again, which is really cool. Really, isn't it? That's pretty cool. Anyway, what was my fucking point? I don't know what my fucking point is. I'm in my luteal phase right now and it sucks. And in this particular, and, and I don't know like the relationship between depression and anxiety and just your menstrual cycle in general, like I blame a lot of things on my menstrual cycle, but I am just really down on myself this month at this time. Like it's not always this bad, but like I don't know. It's just, there's been a lot of anxiety the last few days. And I just wanted to share that with you guys simply for commiseration meanings. (laughs) Um, And anyway, thank you guys for listening. And I, I'm glad that I have this outlet because I also have a YouTube channel and I have a radio show, but those things aren't really as meaningful to me as this podcast is. And I'm gonna get really depressed if I start thinking about the fact that, you know, after next week's becoming part two review of Buffy, there won't be another Buffy episode until the end of September. So I have to decide what to do from here. Um I did put up a Twitter poll last week. I got one vote. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure that was from my Michael and he doesn't count because he doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) I love him, but he doesn't listen. So his vote is while sweet, because I told him to go vote, (laughs) it doesn't really count. So I would love to hear from anyone listening right now. Um, If you could, just let me know you're there and let me know if you have an opinion on what you think I should do for the months of June, July, August, and most of September. I would love to review the first season of Veronica Mars. I think that would be really fun. Um, But I want to know if that's going to drive anyone away. I don't want to lose any listeners um, for this. But I think think I should keep going. Like it's really going to be sad if I don't have a podcast to do. So let me know what you think. Um, you can find me on um, Instagram. Just message me on there under mixtress radio. That's M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S radio spelled the normal way. Um, or you can um, email me mixtressray, R-A-E, just with an X, Ray with an E at proton mail. Okay. So let's get back into the episode before I like, you know, get all dark on you guys. I guess I sort of did already, but anyway, thanks for listening. Um, like seriously, if you're a person that goes through depression or anxiety or hormonal fluctuations, um, just know that you're not alone. Like basically what I learned was that, you know, that's what I was trying to, that was my point that I was trying to make 10 minutes ago was that, um, basically the world is set up not in a monthly fashion, you know, but to be honest, the way that hormones work in women, it's... You know, we're going to have about two weeks out of the month. We're going to have several days, maybe even a week, maybe even a full two weeks where we are on top of shit. We're getting everything done. We're multitasking. We are fucking rock stars. But then the other two weeks of the month, which let's be honest, that's 50% of your goddamn life. And I feel that. I really feel that. I feel like I'm on top of the world about half the time. The other half of the time, I can't handle anything. Like, literally, I went to work today. I only worked five hours, and it's my job that I've done for the last 14 years. I know how to do it. It's not that hard. I work with the public, so sometimes there are some challenges in that, of course, dealing with other people in various degrees of um, coping mechanisms, you know, and uh, I was just so not prepared for anything today. Like I kept having to, like every time I had a moment where I was completely alone, like if I was in the bathroom or if I was like locking up a study room after someone had left and I would go in there for a second and I would just have to take deep breaths because I just couldn't cope with anything. And I went on my break today I guess I was going to stop talking about personal shit, but apparently I'm not ready yet. And I was like, I have, we have lockers at work. So I was like putting stuff up in my locker, taking, I was taking things out, putting stuff up, just like getting whatever ready for my break. I just had a 15 minute break today. That was all because it was just a five hour shift. And I, I don't even remember how it happened doesn't matter I shattered my glass water bottle that I use every single day to you know have water at work I shattered it it's really thick glass too I didn't even think it would shatter you know in like the two seconds between dropping it and it hitting the floor probably not even two seconds I, I thought, well, that sucks. I'm probably going to spill the water everywhere. But I didn't think it would break because that glass is thick, but it shattered into a million pieces. So I had to spend my whole 15-minute break cleaning up glass. And that bottle was full of crisp, clean, cold water. And it was just all over the locker area. <laughs> And that was just the perfect physical representation of how I felt inside. You know what I mean? Um, Just one of those symbolic situations. Anyway, I'm really good at breaking glass, too. I break glasses all the time. (laughs) And then I got, like, super obsessed with making sure I got every single tiny piece of glass because I didn't want anyone to get, like, their feet cut. Not, Not that anybody walks through that hallway barefooted or anything. I mean... It's just coworkers and they're wearing shoes, but I became obsessed and there are still little pieces of glass and I will see them for weeks because I will be looking every time. I just really hope that no water splashed into people's lockers and like ruined anything inside their lockers. Anyway, 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 let's get back to this episode because we haven't even started talking about it yet. So the episode starts with a new character that we don't know yet. So we just hear his voice in the beginning. And he's um, he says, there's moments in your life that make you, that decide who you're going to be. So for right from the beginning, becoming. Becoming is the theme. And that's pretty much the coolest part of this entire episode is the fact that it's all about moments in your life that make you who you are so i wrote down the different moments that we see for the different characters so as was mentioned when i read that quote from the bite me episode guide you get to see in flashbacks you get to see angel when he was born to darkness so the night that he met darla and became a vampire you get to see that moment in a flashback so we get to see darla again um she cuts right above her boobs and like shoves his face into her boobs and that's how he becomes a vampire so yay for him he gets a little motorboating action with his vampirism um then we get to see we get to see a lot of flashbacks in this episode this episode is all about setting up it's setting everything up so that it can be knocked down in the next episode So it's kind of weird to talk about this episode in isolation from part two, but I got to do it because these episodes were aired a week apart, even though they are both written and directed by Joss Whedon. So you get to see him become a vampire. You get to see him get a soul. So you see originally about 150 years after he became a vampire, I think. I didn't write down all the years because the show does not is not it's good with continuity in general but as far as like detail stuff like literal I turned into a vampire in 1756 I got a soul in 1842 you know like those little those were just made up examples by the way but those little moments have really not been consistent throughout the series which this is 1998 okay like tv Buffy was one of the very first shows that had any sort of like a big bad in each season the continuity throughout a season like Buffy is one of the pioneer shows that started making tv what we know it to be today so not a lot of shows were even trying to have continuity back then so you got to give Buffy a little bit of a benefit of a doubt, a little bit of leeway, um, when it comes to that kind of stuff. So it was pointed out in the Bite Me episode guide that there are a lot of inconsistencies, um, as far as the timeline of Angel and all that shit. So I'm not going to get into all of that nitpicky stuff. We get to see him get a soul essentially. So when the, um, Romani clan was cursing him and giving him the soul, We see that moment and we also see the moment in 1996 when he meets Buffy and by meets, I mean, when he starts lurking, like he doesn't see Buffy face to face until March of 97 back when the show first started, I have a problem with angels lurking. Okay. I like Angel. Like, he's a very important character to Buffy. You know, he's the first boyfriend. He's kind of a big deal. I I get it. I like Angel as a character overall. But the fact that he was there. Okay, so this is a good transition into Buffy's becoming moment. So Buffy's flashback, you get to see her being called to be a slayer, but you're seeing it through the eyes of Angel, who's watching it happen. He saw when her first watcher came to tell her that she was a slayer back at her old high school in LA. I find this incredibly invasive and creepy and not feminist at all, like we are seeing angel seeing her getting called to action getting called to her duties as a slayer like this story should have been told with a lot more attention you know like the flashback to when buffy was called is in the context of worrying about angel deciding whether or not he wants to be a good guy fucking 90 years after he gets a soul so this is Angel's storyline which this episode is very focused on Angel's storyline he becomes a vampire somewhere in the 1700s he gets a soul somewhere in the 1800s because he killed a Romani girl and the tribe was very upset because she was well loved and so he got cursed and then he spends 90 years being Louis from the Anne Rice novels wallowing around being depressed eating rats doing fucking nothing with his life for 90 years 90 goddamn years and then and then this guy whistler shows up so this is where you get to meet this guy whistler who i don't know he's not a very compelling character in one of the books one of my like research mode books that i consult every week What did they say? I think it was in the episode guide. Where is that? No, it was in Sex and the Slayer. Um, They said that Whistler was a dead ringer for Tom York from Radiohead. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. But thinking of him as Tom York from Radiohead somehow makes this character more amusing. So this character is just like a wispy little dude with a New York accent he turns out he's a demon and he cares about the balance between good and evil so he intervenes on Angel's behalf as soon as Buffy gets called as a slayer and he's like listen you have been a complete shitless layabout for the last 90 years what the fuck you can go either way right now but you need to choose a side Hanging around, eating a rat once a month is not choosing a side. So you need to choose a side. So he's the one that tips Angel off to, like, you need to go see and then you'll know or some bullshit, some cryptic bullshit. And that's when you see Angel pull up to the school and see Buffy get called. And then later, he sees Buffy slay her first vampire. And then later... He follows her to her house where she's all by herself, looking herself in the mirror, like, what the fuck is my life now? And hearing her mom and dad fighting in the background, which we now know they're divorced. So, you know, she is some part of them getting divorced because they were always fighting about her. Not to say that it's her fault, but her becoming a slayer, even though they didn't know what that was, was a factor in driving a wedge between them that was probably already there let's be honest I just find this I know I already said it but I find it so fucking creepy and it doesn't make me like Angel at all like I think we're supposed to think oh he loved her since the very beginning oh no this is not cool. The fact that he saw her become a slayer, that he saw her slay her first vampire, that he was just there fucking watching her. And we're supposed to think that this was a moment of becoming for Angel too, because when he meets Buffy, that's when he decides to use his soul to dedicate himself to the forces of good. So he would never have become a good man if it wasn't for Buffy and that's what we're supposed to hold on to which I will try to do so that I can now move on from the fact that I think Angel is a fucking creepy crust okay let's hold on to that because let's be honest every flashback we've seen of Angel before he became a vampire he was a drunken lout he was an awful human being and then he was an awful vampire And then when he got his soul, he was just useless. So he really never was a worthwhile use of space until he met Buffy. That is true. So let's focus on that. Let's focus on that. Okay, so my beer's gone. (laughs) Update. I've only drank one beer in one shot. I might sound drunker than that, but I'm not. I don't really drink that much anymore. (laughs) I'm just in a really weird space right now. So, anyway, it's only 10 o'clock p.m. Okay, that's not late for me. (laughs) So, this episode is all about becoming. So, we see Angel become a vampire. We see him get a soul. We see him meet Buffy. These are big becoming moments in his life. For Buffy, we see her become a slayer and we see her. Oh, um, I guess we're not going to see this till the next episode. So we, she is about to hit a really big becoming moment when she has to kill Angel in the next episode. Drusilla, we see a becoming moment for her because in a flashback, we see her go to a church and confess to a priest. And it just happens that Angel was in the process of killing that priest when Drusilla enters the like confession booth. So he pretends to be the priest for a second because he's intrigued by Drusilla who starts talking about how she has visions. And I think this is the first moment that we see, like we knew that from Angel's admission to Buffy in an episode back in season one, we know that he tortured Drusilla for a long time. He killed her whole family He basically drove her mad, but I don't know if we knew that she had visions until now. So we see her confessing to the priest, which is really angel, that, you know, she had a vision about some minors, um, and she told it to her mom and her mom told her that, that this was an affront to the Lord, that her visions were an affront to the Lord because only he's supposed to see anything before it happens. And so, you know, now that Drusilla used to have visions before when she was still human, which completely supports my Drusilla is a potential storyline, which is a whole rant that you guys have heard before. So, um, we also get a becoming moment in this episode. I'm kind of going out of order, but I just want to kind of list all of the characters and the becoming moments that are dropped in this episode with Willow. So Willow is, in this episode, they find the floppy disk that, um, Jenny had saved the restoration spell for Angel's soul on right before she was killed by Angel that dropped down in between like the two desks onto the floor and no one knew about it until now because Buffy, um, drops a pencil and she gets deja deja vu and then she reaches down and she finds it so this opens the storyline for willow whenever they put the disc in and they're like oh my god this is this this is the spell she was trying to figure out the spell that originally cursed angel should we do it again that's a big plot point in this episode is like the conversation should we try to restore angel or should we just kill him And Willow says, you know, I've been studying the dark arts. I really think I can do this. And Giles, I want to find the exact quote, says to Willow, Channeling such potent magics through yourself, it could open a door that you may not be able to close. Just take a second. If you know the trajectory, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer of Willow the character in Buffy the Vampire Slayer the show you know that she is about to open a door that she will never be able to close for good and for bad this is a big deal for Willow's character this is a big becoming moment when she decides to do this spell and she does it successfully which will happen in the next episode it is a huge deal for her as a person it's a huge deal this two-part thing that's happening here, two-part episode, (laughs) two-parter, is a big becoming moment for all of these characters. All of them. So there's that. I'm only through like half of the first page of my notes right now. (laughs) So the moment where Drusilla goes into the confessional booth i believe this is the moment that she meets angel even though she doesn't realize she's met angel he is in the process of killing the priest and he's so intrigued by drusilla that i think we're supposed to fill in the blanks that he kind of sticks around and he tortures her for months and all that shit and at this point he does tell her that she needs to accept the fact that she is an evil being just accept it And Drusilla doesn't. She keeps saying, I wanna be good, I wanna be pure. I don't mean to have visions, I just do. And it just it just makes me want to see more about Drusilla. Just makes me want to see more Drusilla. Even though we're not going to get to. Okay. So we're still like in the first scene of the fucking episode here. Xander and Buffy are patrolling. Uh Buffy kills a vampire, and she's kind of saying to the vampire, you know, will you let Angel know that I'm sick of waiting? I'm going to take the fight to him. And then she kills the vampire. And she's like, I guess I'll just have to tell him myself. And she's having a conversation with Xander as I walk away. Like it'll all be over soon because she's, she's basically saying I'm ready. I'm ready to kill Angel. I'm sick of this. I'm ready for it to be over with. I'm ready. Let's go. So she says, it'll all be over soon. And Angel fucking larking. Of course. He says, yes, my love, it will. So um, then you get the credits. Then the next scene, Giles is being called to like a museum or something where they found this giant relic with some foreign, some, you know, ancient language on it. And they have called Giles in because he is, quote, the best authority in obscure relics. How cute is that? Giles best authority and obscure relics so cute Um, so they consult him they're like what do you think this is and he takes like a sample and he says have you tried to open it and they're like what what are you talking about open it it's like this big chunk of rock and he's like well it's a doorway I don't want to open it until I know what this transcription is and um, the guy's like okay you're the expert." And then we go to a scene in the cafeteria where Xander is doing like a reenactment of the patrolling from the night before with fish sticks and a toothpick. The toothpick is the steak and the fish sticks are Buffy and the vampire. (laughs) Cute. Um, Willow is, so it's Willow, Oz, Xander, Cordelia, and Buffy, and they're all at lunch together. And, um so Oz is there this is the only scene with Oz in this episode but he's there finally for the first time in like five episodes so yay Oz is back although Willow sitting on his lap what a slut <laughs> I'm kidding of course um Cordelia is like laughing at Xander's jokes and like you know Cordelia just really fits in with everybody at this point and it's just so cute she's just always there now then we get another flashback this is the flashback where we see Drew um, with Angel in the confessional booth and at one point she says I don't want to be an evil thing um, and then we flash forward to now where Drew is having a vision about a tomb with a surprise inside so she is the one that lets um, Spike and Angel know about this tomb which is the big thing that is the big end of the world thing um then we go to the scene where Buffy and Willow are Willow's trying to help Buffy because it's finals and she's trying to help her study for chemistry and she's frustrated Buffy's frustrated she's like when in the real world am I ever going to need chemistry history math or the English language <laughs> and um she's sort of like, you know, she's frustrated so she's calling herself dumb and stuff like that. And Willow kind of gives her a little talk. It's really it's really cute. She's like, "Listen, you're not stupid. You've got a lot on your mind right now. But if you're just going to give up, then don't waste my time." And it's just really cute. And um Buffy's like, "Wow, you really are a good teacher." Um So I think we're kind of I didn't think about this till now, but I think we're supposed to think of this moment where she's been covering from his calendar after her death and she's sort of tutoring Buffy. This, this is a moment for Willow becoming as well. Like she's sort of deciding that she likes teaching people. So that doesn't really ever follow through. Um, we don't ever see Buff, we don't ever see Willow being a teacher. It's almost like she could have gone down this teacher path, except she did the spell and that's what put her down the Wicca path instead so maybe it was like Willow was either gonna be like a computer nerd teacher or she was gonna be a witch so she went down the witch path and so we will never get to see this alternate Willow being a nerdy teacher path which I think would have been more fun maybe I don't know then we never would have gotten dark Willow so anyway um next scene we're all back in the library because um, Willow and Buffy are showing this is after they found the little floppy disk they're showing them that the spell is on there and they're having the discussion with everybody in the library so Giles Cordelia Oz is gone again he was just there for that one scene um just okay Oz no Oz is not there (laughs) Cordelia Willow Xander Buffy, Giles. So the core five, really. They're all in the library. They're talking about should we restore Angel's soul or not, and they're sort of having discussion about it. But Xander is very, very angry. He's like, no. Um, at last count, Xander. At last count, Angel is evil. No, 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 no. And of course he's jealous, and he's being a real dick about it. And Buffy gives him this look because Xander and Giles are kind of yelling at each other at one point and Buffy gets between them and she just looks at Xander she just gives him this look like are you kidding back the fuck off she doesn't even say anything she just looks at him it's a really good look next time you watch this episode pay attention to that face because it's good and not only does she do it while she's pushing the two of them apart but then she goes back to standing next to Willow where she was before, and she looks at him again. And it doesn't fucking work because he jumps right back in with the jabs. Like, he's using this tone of voice that's like, ugh. Ugh. Xander. Xander. Okay, let's keep going. He's right. I mean, seriously, if they didn't restore Angel's soul, Luffy never would have had to have the emotional darkness of killing him in sold. She would have just killed him because she had no other choice because he wouldn't have had a soul and she would have been mad at him and been mad at him for months. The way that it goes down. Oh my God. We, I mean, we have to wait to talk about that. Obviously because that doesn't happen in this episode. So let's move on. Let's go back. Let's go back to where we are. Okay, that's when Giles says to Willow, "Channeling such potent magic through yourself, it could open a door that you may not be able to close." Best foreboding of the whole series, right? The fuck there. <gasps> so many times Willow is going to get in trouble because of her magic. Hmm. She's about to go to the dark side. This is this is it. This is the turning. Po- this is like we have to say goodbye to Drusilla in a way and we also have to say goodbye to Willow in a way at the end of these two episodes because Willow will never be this cute nerdy academic I mean she kind of still will be that in the next season it's not like a total tonal shift but I don't know I prefer her her as a nerd I really do like I don't mind her being a lesbian and a witch but, like, she loses, like, this essential otherness about her whenever she becomes the witch, Willow. You know? She's such a Slytherin, I guess. Like, when she gets a taste of power, she just becomes a different person. I don't know. Anyway. So, da-da-da-da-da. Oh, then um, Buffy's going to patrol. It's the next night. She runs into Kendra. So Kendra come has come to town because she wants... Because she heard from her watcher that a very dark power was about to rise in Sunnydale. So she's there to help. Um, so yay, Kendra. Also, we have to say goodbye to Kendra. Goodbye to Kendra. Goodbye to Drusilla. And also kind of goodbye to Willow in this episode... In these episodes. It's like a big deal. This whole situation is very heavy. So, um since Angel has now heard about this giant rock he's intrigued he goes to the museum he takes it they have lackeys apparently like I didn't even realize like every time they show Angel, Drusilla, and Spike they just show the three of them in the last several episodes they haven't shown anyone else but apparently they still have lackeys so they get the giant rock back to their new super plush mansion and um spike this is where we get the quote of the episode spike's like his reaction to this giant rock it's a big rock i can't wait to tell my friends they don't have a rock this big (laughs) the snarkiness coming off of spike is just excellent when he's in a wheelchair it's just extra because he can't like move around you know um He's still hiding from Drusilla that he can walk. They make sure to show a scene where he's walking. And then when she gets there, he jumps back in the wheelchair. Um, So the whole thing with Acathla, who is inside the big rock, is that he has a sword in his chest from when he was pierced through the heart by like a valiant knight or some shit. So the whole thing is a ritual has to be done to pull the sword back out of his chest. So it's a whole Arthur situation where somebody has to be worthy. So Angel builds it all up. He like kills a virgin or some shit and he has the virgin's blood on his hands and he does like an incantation. He tries to pull the sword out and it doesn't work. And so Spike says, someone isn't worthy. It's a great moment. (laughs) So he's super pissed and he throws like a vase and Drusilla's like, I'm so disappointed. And, um, then we go back to Whistler. Um, this is a flashback to when, um, Whistler has met Angel and he's like trying to talk to him, like, you know, you could go either way. What's, you know, whatever. And he explains that he's a demon and he's eating a hot dog. He says, not all demons are dedicated to the the destruction of all life. Um, That's when I make the note about how angry I am that Angel gets to see Buffy getting called. Because I just think that takes something away from Buffy. That we have to see her calling through Angel. Okay, I know I already said that. So, at this point, Angel has decided that you know he has some sort of weird plan. You don't know what it is yet. So, he sends one of his lackeys to go to Buffy during one of her finals in the middle of the day and like tell her to meet him at midnight or some shit, whatever. And then she takes this cloak off of her and then she bursts into flames because she's inside of a school classroom in the middle of the day, which you may not remember, but schools... Back in the 90s and before, they had a shit ton of windows in the classrooms. You could look out the window when you were in class. Whereas now, they're like fucking prisons where there's one window in each room. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> okay. So Buffy goes to the library afterwards and everybody's there. The whole top five gang. And she's wearing her brown stretchy pants. Which, those are her fighting pants, if you remember. The brown stretchy pants are... Are Buffy's fighting pants so you know something's gonna go down <laughs> and um oh Kendra's there too so it's the core six and she's like obviously I need to go like he said more people were gonna die like I need to go and they're kind of like well Buffy this might be a trap and she's like well Kendra's here Kendra can protect you so you guys stay here do the spell like the whole time I forgot to mention this but like ever since Willow and Buffy discovered the spell on the floppy disk willow has sort of left it up to buffy like i really want to do this i think i can do this but it's up to you and buffy's sort of like indecisive about it you know do i want to do this like she spent like the last day really thinking about it and this is the moment where she decides you guys do the spell i'm gonna go fight him i'll try to hold him off long enough for the spell to take effect if not i'll kill him so she goes she leaves Kendra there to protect them And, um, Willow's doing the spell Well, Willow and Giles together are really doing the spell. I, I find it in retrospect, I find it a little strange that like pretty much this whole time, all of these big decisions are being made and Giles is really not weighing in a whole lot. Like he has a stake in this. Like he did say something to Willow, like, you know, this might open a door you can't close, But that's really the most opinion that he has disseminated in this episode. And I find that odd. You know, like, he basically... This whole situation was kind of up to Willow and Buffy. And Willow's like, I'm ready to do this. And the rest is up to you. So this whole thing is being dictated, really, by Willow and Buffy. And... Which is fine. But, like, I feel like it's not natural for Giles's character to not really impose his opinions on this. Like he will respect whatever Buffy chooses to do, but he didn't really counsel her in this episode. And I don't know. I th- I think that's an oversight. So anyway, so she's about to go to meet Angel and Kendra gives her her lucky stake. This is where we're first introduced to Mr. Pointy which I have a tattoo of on my left leg <laughs> it is a uh, just it's a steak but it's like a, a specific like sort of carved knobbly crooked steak it's very iconic to the Buffy fandom this steak she gives it to Buffy and tells her it's her lucky steak and you know it's just a sweet moment she says watch your back and Buffy goes so um. So they're there in the library, the five of them, Kendra, Giles, Willow, Xander. Cordelia. Cordelia's on sage duty. (laughs) So she's like wafting sage around where um, Giles and Willow are doing like the incantations. Kendra and Xander are both sort of guarding. Xander's guarding the like balcony area of the library because if you remember there's a there's a window there where like things can break in and they have before and Kendra's sort of guarding the door on the main level and um then you get to see Buffy and Angel fight in a cemetery and it's real cute because Angel's like I just wanted to say goodbye you're the one thing in this dimension I'm gonna miss and then they fight and um They fight for a while, and then Drusilla and her lackeys get to the library. So there's a big fight. Um, Cordelia runs away through the stacks. You just see her, like, panicking and run off. Willow and Xander both... Xander looks like he gets his wrist broken. I'm pretty sure he gets his wrist broken. Xander and Cordelia... or Xander and Willow both get knocked out and Drusilla and Kendra face off and Drusilla this is the first time you see that I think this is the first time you see that Drusilla has this power no she did it one other time with one of her lackeys but you see her exercise this power again where she can you haven't seen any other vampires in the Buffyverse do this but she can enthrall someone she can hypnotize them so she does this to Kendra and they sort of do like this little dance where they're swaying back and forth together. And it's kind of like hypnotic. I mean, it really is hypnotic. And then she kills Kendra. And okay, I have some thoughts about this. Like, obviously we didn't get enough time with Kendra and that's really sad. But also I find this kill a little unbelievable not the fact that she could enthrall Kendra because it makes sense to me. Like Kendra has a very traditional upbringing as far as being a slayer. And I think she would be more susceptible to this kind of thing. And Drusilla is very powerful. Like we're supposed to know that Drusilla is extremely powerful. So this is not the part that I have a problem with. What I have a problem with is the fact that Drusilla did not drink her blood. This is the only vampire besides Spike that we have ever known in the Buffyverse to be strong enough to kill a slayer. Slayer's blood is the most sought after blood to vampires. Obviously it would be. She doesn't drink her blood. She slashes her neck with her fingernails and then she leaves. (sighs) Like, I have a hard time with this, but I just thought of something just now this might help me reconcile my feelings with it maybe because she was a potential and as my mom says she wants to be good she still wants to be good we haven't really seen evidence of her still wanting to be good as a vampire but maybe she kind of does maybe she has a certain amount of respect for Kendra as a slayer so that she wouldn't drink her blood Maybe? I think that's kind of a stretch, because I think it would be more respectful of Kendra if she did drink her blood. You know? Or turn her, or try to turn her, or something. Like, just to, like, enthrall her for a second, and then slash her throat, and then leave? Like, really? That's not enough. I mean, I know that this is a Joss Whedon thing. We're supposed to see characters Beloved characters die in an instant. That's his favorite thing to do to us. Emotionally. But I still think she would have drank her blood. She's a vampire, and she just killed a fucking slayer. She should drink her blood. She should. Sorry. Anyway. Um, Okay. Drew kills Kendra, and then they take Giles. So, this whole thing was to distract Buffy long enough to be able to capture Giles. So... Prepare yourselves now because Drowse is going to get tortured in the next episode and it's going to be heartbreaking. Just one of the many things that's heartbreaking in becoming part two. Just prepare yourselves for it. We're going to talk about it next week. So, this is where the episode ends because as soon as Buffy realizes, like, Angel makes some fucking comment as they're fighting, Buffy realizes it was all a trap. So, she goes back to the library and you see her run into through the hallway to the library in slow motion with her iridescent trench coat that is blue and green. Iridescent. Duochrome. <laughs> I don't know if you call fabrics duochrome. Probably not. I think that's just eyeshadows and nail polishes, but you know what I'm saying. So she runs in with her and stretchy pants and her trench coat, iridescent trench coat in slow motion and it's very iconic, you know, her running in slow motion. It's just beautiful. Of course. She gets into the library. There's Kendra right there in the entrance of the library, you know, just beyond the like security gate um right by the circulation desk. There she is, dead. And Buffy just is It's just, she's just dumbfounded and she takes her hand and she's just trying to put it all together. And then you hear the voiceover again of Whistler. Um, He's the bookends. The voiceover is the bookends of the episode from the beginning and the end. And he says, bottom line is, even if you see him coming, you're not ready for the big moments. The big moments are going to come. You can't help that. It's what you do afterwards that counts. And right after he says that, Buffy is distracted by something. She looks up and cops are pointing a gun at her and telling her to freeze. She was crouched down, holding Kendra's hand as Kendra was dead. And then the cops show up, which is the last thing you think is going to happen in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because cops don't fucking know what's going on. They don't intervene ever. They let, they let Buffy handle everything. And now they're going to get in the middle of it. So that's when the episode ends, right there, when the cops show up and tell her to freeze. So let's go into research mode. So I have, if I haven't mentioned recently, I have four different Buffy books, including that episode guide I've already mentioned that I consult um, the index for every episode to see if there's anything interesting that they say. I thought that there would be a lot for this two-parter since it's just kind of a thematic big deal in the Buffyverse, I might need better Buffy books. <laughs> if you guys would like to contribute to me getting a better Buffy research library than just these three books, uh, plus the episode guide, please send money to paypal.me slash ray. That's M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. I will put that money to good use, I promise. Anyway, um, my books didn't have a whole lot to say. Um, um, something interesting that was in Sex and the Slayer though, it was pretty much, I just read like almost a whole chapter about Drusilla and they think it's significant that Drusilla did not go into vamp face when she killed Kendra. I would agree that that's probably significant, although I didn't think about that myself. Like, And that also sort of supports me giving her a little bit of a pass for not drinking Kendra's blood. Like she was being more, I don't know, more Drusilla than vampire Drusilla when she killed Kendra. She sort of hit, I feel like the powers of her being able to hypnotize Kendra were not part of her vampire nature. And I think that is symbolized by her not being in vamp face. Like she killed Kendra because she is Drusilla and that is what she wanted to do. (laughs) She has accepted that she is supposed to be an evil being. She has chosen sides. Like even if Drusilla had a soul, I wouldn't say she would necessarily be bad, but I think she wouldn't she might be like chaotic neutral you know she would do things that served her and served her madness but it wouldn't be always good and wouldn't be always evil even if she had a soul I think that's true of Drusilla so I do think it's significant that she wasn't in vamp face when she killed Kendra let's see um and then they said some really interesting stuff about Drusilla um in Sex and the Slayer. So this book is, since I'm going to say a lot about it, I might as well tell you. It's called Sex and the Slayer, a Gender Studies Primer for the Buffy Fan by Lorna Jowett. So let's see. Some of the things they said was that Drusilla's visions both give her power and code her as a quote, disruptive female, which is, um, a theme that is mentioned quite often in this book and mentioned in feminist theory a lot in general, the idea of the disruptive female is the female that is, and especially as far as pop culture portrays women, you know, there are not a lot of ways that pop culture portrays women even now. And one of them is the disruptive female, which means, I mean, basically you're good or bad that's all you get there's not a lot of gray area in female characters and one of the ways in which you can be bad is by being chaotic being mad like one of the ways you can let's see in order to be a disruptive female you either are sexually deviant you're crazy you're um, yeah, those two things. Basically, you're crazy, you're sexually deviant. And Drusilla is both. And Drusilla is really, unfortunately, she is portrayed as the disruptive female pretty faithfully. Like, you don't ever, ever see her without Spike or Angel at her side. Like, she is portrayed as a very powerful woman. A very evil villainess. But she is always backing up whatever fucking plans Angel or Spike have. Always. Even though she, I would say she's arguably more powerful than both of them. Combined. If she can fucking hypnotize somebody just by looking at them and telling them to look into her eyes and she can kill them. A fucking slayer. If she can hypnotize a slayer in like five seconds she is not using her power she's not shown having agency you know she's just shown being in love with spike or doing whatever the fuck angel says because he's her sire you know and you know they show her having her crazy visions and shit when she's the one that she's the one that told them about akathla was apparently going to suck everyone into hell. I haven't said that whole storyline yet. Maybe I'll talk about it next episode. Pff, you guys don't care, right? Um, she's the one that told them about Akathla. Like, she's the one that told Angel to go to Buffy whenever um, in I Only Have Eyes For You. Like, nothing would fucking happen without Drusilla and her visions. But she doesn't... She doesn't demand that people... I don't know, respect and give, give her recognition, I guess. I don't know. She's content with just being crazy in her own corner and she doesn't ask anyone to worship her because of it, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's cool. I don't know. But it is interesting and it is noteworthy to know that you don't ever see her without her men. Not in Buffy, anyway. I think you get to see a little bit more of her without being defined by men in the series Angel, but not in Buffy. So that's unfortunate. It really is. For one of my very favorite characters that we're about to not see anymore, that is an unfortunate send-off that she is just always at the mercy of her men. So that sucks. Um, I did write down a quote, although, okay, I really like the term disruptive female. (laughs) I almost want that tattooed on me or something. I want to find ways to be a more disruptive female in society. Can't we all learn something from being a disruptive female? Can we put it on a t-shirt or a necklace or a tattoo or something? Come on, disruptive females. Let's band together. All the disruptive females. Rock on. (laughs) I also wrote down this quote. Um, I just think this is an interesting concept. I didn't write down the whole sentence as to when they were saying this, but um, it described the show as having, the show of Buffy, of course, as having a postmodern presentation of identity as inherently unstable. I really like this concept. Um, I'd like to learn more about it. I didn't realize it was a postmodern thing, but um, I do think that's definitely the stance of the show being that the, um, the presentation of identity as unstable. I think that's very true of this show. And I think that's one of the reasons, one of the big themes in the show that are really important to me personally. The fact this inherently unstable identity situation, I think that's important. Um, let's see. Oh, um, one of the things that was mentioned in the Bite Me episode guide is that it's sad that we didn't get to see, you know, we got to see Buffy becoming a slayer, Angel becoming a vampire, and getting in sold, and we get to see Willow making the choice to become a witch in this episode, essentially, even though they didn't really, like, make a big point of telling you that, but we're definitely seeing that in this episode. We didn't get to see Giles when he was called to being a watcher, which has been alluded to before as sort of a calling in a similar way to Buffy becoming a Slayer. So if that's the case, then shouldn't we get to see? We never get to see that. In the entire course of the series, we never get to see Giles becoming a Watcher. And that's unfortunate. I mean, I think it would be hard to do that flashback because we'd have you'd have to find another actor to play him that much younger. But still, we never get to see that. And that is unfortunate. So kudos to Nikki Stafford for bringing that up. So let's go ahead and give our ratings for this episode since I've been talking for, I don't even know how long because I had my battery died and I had to restart. So it's probably been an hour and a half at this point. So thank you for listening. If you made it this long, you're the best. So um, coveted object of the episode. I may have chosen this before, but I'm going to do it again. The Orb of Thessala. That thing is cool. It comes in a really cool little box, although Giles didn't have it in that cool little box, but it does, in general, come in a cool little box. A nice little nest, if you will. And the Orb of Thessala is like this gorgeous crystal, and it can hold a soul in it, man. A soul. That's pretty cool. So the Orb of Thessala is my object of the episode. The outfit... I do like Buffy's iridescent coat and her fighting stretchy pants. Those are important. But the real outfit of the episode, and you don't even get to see it that much, it's just in the background during that big library fight scene, Cordelia is wearing a v-neck three-quarter length sleeve red sweater with a couple of little pins on the side. I couldn't see what they were, like from a distance it almost looked like it was like a cherry pin like a couple of cherries but it wasn't but I think it would be cooler if it was so in my brain it is so she's wearing this like really form-fitting very pin-up-y v-neck three-quarter length red sweater with like a mini skirt kilt it was like a Scottish red and black tartan kilt but it was short so it was pleated and everything like a kilt but it was short she just looked pretty hot I'm going to go ahead and say it. So she gets outfit of the episode for that outfit. The quote, um, I'm going to say it again, even though I already said it, is Spike's quote when the Tomb of Akathla was brought um, back to Angel, Spike, and Drusilla's mansion. It's a big rock. I can't wait to tell my friends. They don't have a rock this big. (laughs) The most valuable player of the episode... I feel like nobody shined super bright in this episode as far as being awesome. Like, Xander was a dick. Buffy was just sort of, like, indecisive about what she wanted to do about Angel. Giles was kind of taking a back seat. Willow was being pretty cool. But I'm gonna give the Most Valuable Player award this week to Kendra. Simply because... She's gone now, and we can't give it to her ever again. Maybe we should give it to Drusilla, too. I don't know. Let's do a tie. Drusilla and Kendra and their little dance. That's the most valuable player of the episode. Drusilla and Kendra in the dance forever. R.I.P. R.I.P. Kendra. R.I.P. MVP. Kendra. (laughs) <laughs> my 5 by 5 ratings for this episode it was kind of complicated like I said before to think about this episode by itself without. because normally when you watch this you watch both episodes together I have to wait till next week because of the nature of this project but it's weird to watch it by itself isolated and then wait a week it's weird and it's weird to rate it by itself because this episode is all about flashbacks and setting shit up that's really all that's happened We've set up all the components for the next episode and we saw, we've seen some flashbacks. That's really all that's happened in this episode. So as far as just overall enjoyability, because I have to rate it by itself, I give it a three out of five. As far as the way that it portrayed its message, which obviously the message is becoming, and the moments of becoming I think it did a pretty good job but I do think it did a disservice to certain characters um, I think it did a disservice to Giles I think it did a disservice to Drusilla because I always think Drew is underserviced as a character because she's one of my favorites and I always want to see more of her backstory but um, so I gave it a four it wasn't perfect as far as the becoming aspect of the metaphor of it all. Um, although it only had 42 minutes to put in all this backstory. I just think they focused a little too much on Angel. I don't think he's that cool. I just don't. I never have. I never will. Sorry about it. Sorry, not sorry. So, That means that the 5 by 5 means that I multiply the 3 by the 4, and I get 12 as the overall score of the episode. So thanks for listening to this gigantically long first part of Becoming. I suspect that next week's Becoming Part 2 will be even longer. You guys are the best. I love you. Thanks for listening. I will see you next week when we talk about Becoming Part 2. Bye!